Good morning, y'all. Hey, we got, before we get into the message this morning, we've got, I've got an, an announcement or two this morning, and uh, we're going to have a little string of announcements probably over the next 90 days or so. But the first thing we got to do, um, back in July, m- mid to end of July, we had a couple town hall meetings. One of the things that I said in, in, that, uh, in those town hall meetings was the elders had asked me, what, was the, what is the one thing that you feel like uh, that we need more than anything? And I said that would be a youth pastor. And so we've been over the last 8, 10, 12 weeks interviewing, talking to, reaching out to folks uh, uh, about being a youth pastor. And we landed last week. We've called a youth pastor, full-time youth pastor, to be our youth pastor in our church. That would require some kind of reaction. <laughs> okay. Um, and I want to I introduce him. Come on, come on up, Stephen. Um, grown from within, Stephen Fortenberry, we've called to be our youth pastor, uh, as, well as, as well as leading worship. So he's going to be our, our worship leader. He's going to be a, our full-time youth pastor as well. We are super, super stoked. Great family. Stephen is a great guy. Um, is going to do wonderful things and build us uh, a really vibrant uh, student ministry as well as leading us in worship, which, come on, Stephen. Um, Stephen Armstrong has been our, our worship leader for about three years. Um, Stephen is still going to going to uh had y'all fooled right when i was standing back there y'all thought i was going to be the worst the, yeah the new youth he's pastor. too old i'm too old he's too old to be i interviewed i didn't make it <laughs> which would make me ancient um anyway Stephen is still gonna gonna be involved in the worship ministry but Stephen is also moving into a into another role Stephen is going to be our fifth elder and so we're gonna we you know it's it's yeah we're super super excited about that Stephen is a tremendous leader a very wise young man, so we're very excited about the, the two Stevens. It's v, v and PH, though. That's what we're kind of calling them, V and PH. So I want to, uh, if, our, if our elders are here, are y'all back there? Yeah. Um, Mike Veneziani and, uh, and Park Adamson and Travis is out of town, I think, uh, our third elder or our fourth elder. I'm, one, I'm just another one of the elders. And so there's going to be five of us, and where's Richard? Richard, come on up. We just want to pray over these two men um, together. If y'all would bow your heads, if y'all would pray. Look, it is a big deal. This young man is committing the rest of his life to be in full-time vocational ministry. That is a big deal. It is an awesome responsibility, and we're very, very excited. Yep. All right, Father in heaven, we are so blessed, Father. We are shockingly blessed we know those come from you we thank you today especially for the blessing of people who give their lives full-time vocational ministry we pray for this young man father we pray your spirit would be on him and work through him on all of us and on this community on these families father we'd be lifted up your name be glorified in jesus name amen thanks man thanks so look today um the last couple of weeks we uh We've walked through um, the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ, and we're, we're, we've got a few more weeks in the series that we call What Every Christian Ought to Know, and it's not everything a Christian ought to know, it's what every Christian ought to know. It's some essentials, it's the foundations, the pillars of our faith. 
And today we're going to talk uh, and walk through the person and the ministry uh, of the Holy Spirit. Who He is, what He does, the power, and we're going to call it soul power. It's the soul power uh, that He provides. And, and uh, the, the victory, and I mean total victory of the Christian life that the Holy Spirit can provide to you and me. And y'all know I love football and when I can, and, and hail Purdue. I don't know if y'all watched Purdue and Ohio State last night. They put a beat down on Ohio State. But I love football and when I can work some football analogies in, when I can get some little video clips and whatever, I'm going to do it. I want y'all to watch this little clip. It's like 45 seconds long. Let me ask you something, Mr. Campbell. Uh-huh. What kind of power you got? Oh, man, you know I got some soul power. What kind of power you got? What kind of question is that? I got soul power. Yes, you do. Right on. Let me ask you something, Mr. Burkhead. Yes. I'm too strong. What? I'm too strong. Too strong. I want a victory. 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 You know, just remember the Titans. It's like one of my favorite movies. They did that movie in 2000. I wasn't a Believer in 2000, so it was just a, it was a football movie to me. Um, and then I watched it again in about, I probably watched that maybe 20 times, Susan would say, but I watched it again about 2003 or four. I was a believer then, and I was coaching a youth football team, and I showed it to my kids because I wanted them to get really, to get really fired up. And, and it just, as I watched it as a believer, um, it just sort of represented this victory that we can have uh, that the Holy Spirit provides us and this power that is available to all believers. And, and so a couple of things that I want to walk through this morning on uh, in regards to the Holy Spirit. Number one is this. We need to always understand that, and you should have, I hope you all got worship guides. We've got a couple of fill in the blanks and I've got the passages in there. But we've got to understand that the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. He's not a feeling. He's not a power. He's not an experience. Tons of people, and for years, have confused, use the word manifest, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit Himself. You're going to read in Acts chapter 2, in verses 2 and 3, about this. This is at Pentecost. It's after Jesus ascended to the Father. And, and there's this, the Acts chapter 2, at the beginning, it talks about this sound like a rushing wind, and, and he, he speaks about, Luke, who wrote Acts, he speaks about tongues of fire that, that descended upon Jesus' guise, and, and people all the time assume that that is the Holy Spirit, but that's not the Holy Spirit. Those are manifestations of the Holy Spirit and not the Holy Spirit himself, because we know that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person, and a person has three things that I want to walk through pretty quickly. Number one, he has, the Holy Spirit has knowledge, and knowledge is the ability to know and the ability to understand and to, to recognize things and to have meaning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, 
No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit has knowledge, and the Holy Spirit has will. And what, what, is, what is a will? It's an ability to make choices and to make decisions on the basis of what one chooses to do. It's a passage in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 11. It says, all these, and he's talking about, um, um, Paul's talking about the, the dispensing spiritual gifts. He's talking about as, as you uh, accept Christ, that, that the Holy Spirit dispenses spiritual gifts. And he says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, each believer, just as he, the Holy Spirit, determines. So he has knowledge. A person has a will, and then a person has emotion. You know, what is emotion? It's an ability to feel, and it's, a, it's an ability to feel, and, 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 and both to have and to experience feelings and to be aware of those feelings. Romans 15.30 says, uh, he talks about the love of the, of the Spirit. And in Ephesians 4.30, he talks about grieving the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can love, the Holy Spirit can grieve. And just as you and I would never refer to God the Father or Jesus Christ as an it, we should never refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. So number one, he's a person, the third person of the Trinity. And look, the doctrine of the Trinity is, is hard to understand. It's three persons, one God and three persons. And so the Holy Spirit is the third person. And third doesn't mean just the, the mere fact that it's the number three and the numbers two and one are in front of that. We have a tendency to create this hierarchy and it's not, there is not, it's, there are three co-equal persons in the Trinity. And so this, the second point, and this is where I really want to part this morning, and that is that we need to understand what this person does, what the Holy Spirit, what does he do? And we're going to be in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in some of, uh, some of Paul's letters, and we're going to look at four things, one, two, three, four ministries of the Holy Spirit. And you've got these, there's a couple fill in the blanks in your worship guide. So first, he counsels and he comforts. He counsels us and he comforts us. John 14, 16, and this is the last, this is Jesus talking at the Last Supper. And if you think about it, he knows, and he's been telling these guys for three years what's fixing to happen. And my wife tells me I'm not supposed to use the word, use the word fixing. And she's not here, so don't tell her that I use the word fixing. Um, but he's about, he knows what's about to happen. He totally knows what's about to happen. And he's trying to prepare his guys. He'd been trying to prepare his guys for three years. And now we're on the eve of this. And he's, he's pouring into his guys. And he says, one of the things he says in John 14, in verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The message paraphrase says, I will talk to the Father and he'll provide you another friend so that you'll always have someone with you. The NIV says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The King James says, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And you notice all those, those translations talk about forever and always. He's going to be with us forever and always. He will never leave you. Y'all hold on to that. 
hold on to that forever, but, but hold on to it for a second because we're going to come back to it here this morning. And you see that, that word translated, helper and friend and advocate and comforter, and other translations say encourager and teacher and guide and companion. And you want to say, well, why all these different, um, all these different translations for that Greek word? And that Greek, Greek word is parakletos. And you may have heard the term paraclete. Sometimes he's referred to as the paraclete. And that Greek word is parakletos, and it literally means one who's called alongside. And so the Holy Spirit, he comes alongside of us to bring us counsel and, and to bring the comfort of God into our lives. He comes alongside of us to help us in every single situation that we may come across. Simply put, the Holy Spirit is there 24-7, 365 for a child of God. And when Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come alongside of us, he meant that this one, this paraclete, this comforter, this counselor, would come alongside to help us in our deepest, deepest need. If we are grieving, he'll be our comforter. When we're trying to understand a passage of Scripture, the very same Spirit that inspired that Scripture will come and be a teacher and he'll unfold that Scripture for us. Haven't you ever been reading the Bible and you may be in a passage and you've read that passage 25 times, but all of a sudden this light bulb just goes off and it's like you get it and you're reading it and you think, oh my gosh, I've read this so many times and now, now I get it. You never really got it before, but now you do. That is the Holy Spirit working to illuminate the text of the Scripture because the text of the Scripture is the way that God communicates with us today. If we're stumbling and we're trying to find our way, the Holy Spirit will be our guide. This is the awesomeness of the Spirit. He'll come alongside of us and He'll help us in every way that we have need. And, and, and know this. Jesus calls Him in this passage in John. He calls Him Alos, another, Alos helper, another helper. He says he'll give you another helper. And that word Alos is another, obviously uh, translated another, but it's another of equal uh, quality. He could have used the word Eteros, which is also translated another, but it's another of different quality. He didn't use that. So Jesus himself is equating the Holy Spirit with himself, i.e. God. The three, they're all co-equals. They're alos. He's going to give us an, a, a, an alos helper. Jesus tells us in John uh, 16, 7, he says, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus is saying, I got to go because if I don't, the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the guide, the teacher, he's not going to come. And it's for your own good if he does come. And I try to put myself in the shoes of the guys that are hearing this, and, I, and we hammer them because it's like they didn't get it. For three years he's been telling them this, and they don't get it. I don't know that I would have necessarily gotten it either. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete because he assumes Christ's place in the world while Christ is not physically in the world as the God-man in bodily form. And so he counsels us and he comforts us. 
And then number two, and it's fixing to get a little, see, I used the word again. It's about to get a little bit uncomfortable. Uncomfortable probably for y'all, uncomfortable for me. Because the second ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts and he corrects. He convicts and he corrects. John 16, 8, the verse immediately after the one I just read. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict of sin. No man can do that. No pastor can do that. A preacher can, can, can come to you and he can take the sharp blade of truth, the truth in the scripture, and he can plunge, he can plunge that into your heart. But he cannot convict you of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can convict of sin. Preachers can preach till they're blue in the face. Other Christians can, who love you and they can, they can pray and pray and pray until they feel like they can't pray anymore. Susan's family, my wife Susan's family, for 25 years prayed and prayed and prayed for me. I didn't know what was going on, but they were doing it. And they were praying that I would be convicted. They prayed and prayed, and at the end of the day, I was convicted. And I was, what was I convicted of? I was convicted of my own sin. And you can read and you can hear Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, and I did. I started on page one of the Bible, and I read until I got to the end of the Bible. And that led me to, to real, for sure, bona fide self-reflection. Others can weep over your lost condition and the sin that is in your life. And they did that for me as well. For 25 years they did that. But the change, the real change that you need in your life, it comes when you yourself sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And you feel it in your heart and then you respond to Him. When you feel that you've sinned and you want to be a Christian, when the weight and the burden of the guilt bears down on you. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And you shouldn't resist that feeling. When the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, though, he, he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just convict you of sin and then put you to the curb. He doesn't just convict you of sin and just leave you alone right there. He convicts and then he corrects. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15 it says, be very careful then how you live, not as, wise, but as, uh, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with, this, with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, and then the Holy Spirit helps you and he helps correct and he helps direct the, the, the course of your life. Let's pick this passage apart just a little bit. He says, be careful then how you live. The Holy Spirit will help us to be careful about how we live. Not as, wise, as unwise, not as fools, not as fools, but as wise. The Holy Spirit will help us to be wise. The Holy Spirit will help us to make wise decisions. The Holy Spirit will impart wisdom and knowledge and discernment to us so that we can make wise decisions. The Holy Spirit will give you the, the power to do good in an evil world. The Holy Spirit will help us to understand 
what God wants us to do. He'll help us. We struggle all the time with, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. The Holy Spirit will help us to discern what God wants us to do. The Holy Spirit will fill us and he will control us if we will let him. And you know what? Control, nobody wants to give up control. And there is, a, there is an amount of, of submission and surrender that is inherent in giving up control to God. But what you've got to know is that there's peace on the other side of that surrender. You, you're not like lost when you surrender. There's peace and you are found and you're, you're given wisdom and you're given discernment and you have somebody that you can yoke yourself to. Not a, not a it that you can yoke yourself to, but a person that you can yoke yourself to. And y'all, we have a consciousness, we have a consciousness of sin. And that consciousness of sin is because of what happened in the garden. It's the whole Adam and Eve thing. And you will hear, and I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. You will hear, and I heard it a few months ago, from a pastor who said we need to be unhitched from the Old Testament. We need a pastor on TV. You don't need to be unhitched from the Old Testament. A third of the New Testament is quotes from the Old Testament. What's the Bible that Jesus used? It wasn't the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. It was the Old Testament. How would we know and have a consciousness of sin if we forget about the fall that happened in the garden? This is not like prosperity, gospel, feel-good stuff. This is a hard, real conversation. But it leads total, unbelievable, unexplainable peace on the other side of that. It's not the fall in the garden and we fell and we sinned and then he just leaves us there. That's not what happened. And it didn't sneak up on him. You think Adam and Eve sinned and that snuck up on God and God said, oh my goodness, what, what, he, and he wouldn't have said, oh my God. Oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do now? It didn't, stuff doesn't sneak up on God, and we don't need to unhitch, and next week we're going to really talk about uh, the, the, the Scripture and the book and the text, and we're going to talk about the Old Testament, we're going to talk about the New Testament. But here, we are uniquely made in the image of God, and you've probably been hearing that like all your life, and, and nobody ever really kind of talks about what does it really mean we're made uniquely in the image of God. Well, your dog is not made in the image of God, and I love Rudy, and y'all have seen pictures of Rudy. Rudy is the bomb, but Rudy was not made in the image of God. Your cat, and I don't have a cat because I don't really like cats, but your cat is not made in the image of God. That tree in your front yard, not made in the image of God. The plants, the pretty plants you got. Not, God created all of that, but it's not, none of that was made in his image because he breathed life into man. He didn't breathe life into the tree that's in your front yard. He breathed his very essence into man. We also know the other side of that coin, though, is that we are sinful, that we are born innately sinful. And in a sense, we're uniquely sinful. Y'all hear this. When I say that we're uniquely sinful, what I mean is the, the sin that is easy for this person that's sitting right there that's e whatever easy means, that's easy for them to resist, is unbelievably, impossibly impossible for the person on the, uh, next to them to resist. And it works the other way as well. 
and whether it's alcoholism or drugs. And, and, and yes, there's a genetic predisposition. And yes, your daddy may be a drunk. And your granddaddy may be a drunk. And your great-granddaddy might have been a drunk. That does not mean that you have to be a drunk. It does not mean that somehow that's your destiny, that God destined you to be a drunk. It's not that way. That is not the way it works. If, if we are linked up to Him, if, we are, if He is living inside of us, if we are, if we are yoked, I'm going to use that word again, if we are yoked with Him and we lean on Him, He can provide the strength for us. You can't do that by yourself. You can't. And you hear this junk that people say, God will never give you something more than you can handle. Well, of course He will. He's not going to give you something, not not even that He's given it to you. It's allowed, but it it is so that He's not going to ever allow anything in your life that He can't handle. It's not about you handling it. It's about Him handling it. We mess that up so bad. And so whether it is drugs or alcohol or pornography or covetousness or lying or cheating or, or homosexuality or adultery or whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is there 24-7, 365 for me and you. And if you're living a lying lifestyle, if you're living a covetous lifestyle, if you're jealous all the time because of all your friends that have the perfect life that Facebook is telling you about their perfect life, if you're living a lifestyle immersed in sexual sin, whatever it is, it does not have to continue. It doesn't. It does not have to continue. The Holy Spirit fixes brokenness. God is in the redeeming business. God redeems broken things. God redeems broken marriages. And God redeems a broken marriage even if that marriage is broken because of adultery. I've seen it happen. Miraculously, like unexplainably, God redeems things that are broken. That's the business that He's in. And look, I know, I know, I know that it's difficult. But I also know this truth. I know that it, that it is God's purpose that the consciousness of sin, because there's a difference between the consciousness of sin and the conviction of sin, but I know that His purpose is that the consciousness of sin become fully the conviction of sin. And I know that Jesus uh, promised us that the Holy Spirit... Uh, was going to be the one that would bring that conviction. And I'm so thankful for that conviction. And I'm thankful for that conviction because I would still be lost as last year's Easter eggs if it wasn't for the conviction of sin. I told them back there, I said that back there, it just kind of slipped out, and I said, that's going to slip out from the stage. But, But it's true, and true conviction of sin that is brought on by the Holy Spirit, and true conviction of sin that leads to repentance, it necessarily, and this is going to be a little difficult, it necessarily involves the sinners. It involves me condemning my own sin. Now, that does not mean me condemning me. It does not mean anyone condemning you. It's the condemnation of the sin, not the person. Y'all do understand the difference there, don't you? The problem with Christianity for the last 500 years is, it, is 
it, is it condemned the sinner. And it is not about condemning the sinner. It is about condemning the sin. And you and I, we have this sense, and we're born with this sense that something's wrong in our lives. It, it's there. And sometimes it's blurry, and sometimes it's vague. But for that feeling to become conviction, it's got to morph into something more than just some feeling, some ethereal feeling of wrongness. And that something comes by way of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit does not bring conviction to me and you apart from our own moral compass. And there are moral absolutes. And when I say there are moral absolutes, that means there's, there's absolute rights and wrongs that cross all culture and cross all time. It tra- they transcend when you live or where you live. And it is only true gospel conviction when we recognize the sin for the sin that it is. And we've got to acknowledge it as sin. We cannot shake our fist at God and say, it's who I am. You're the one that made me, and that makes it okay. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't. Because you can't tell me that there's not a genetic predisposition that people have to be addicted to stuff, to be addicted to alcohol. But it does not mean you have to be a drunk. It doesn't. The bottle doesn't jump off a table into your hand. You make a choice. And for some people, that choice is, like, so hard. I'm so thankful that I don't have, personally, this, this, this predisposition to, 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 to drink too much. I'm thankful that I don't. I got a whole bunch of other junk in my life, though, that you probably don't. But at the end of it all, the bottle does not jump off the table into your hand. When we can really recognize the sinfulness of our sin and condemn that sin ourselves, that's the Holy Spirit working on the inside of us. That is what He does. And we were flying to New York last week to to Long Island for a wedding. Um, And on the way... Look down, I don't know, 30,000 feet or something, and I see a beacon. I see, we must have been flying by an airport, and I saw these beacon, the beacon lights going down the runway, and they were flashing. <clears throat> and I knew that that was a place of safety for us if we somehow got in trouble. And the Holy Spirit can be and is that beacon flashing in our lives. He will convict us of the trouble, of the problems, and he'll provide a place of safety. And he'll correct us. And he'll set us back on the straight and narrow path. And I don't mean that you may, that this is a straight and narrow path. I'm not saying that, that you need somebody to tell you when you're that far off. You kind of know. But sometimes we get about this far off. And when I get to the back of the room, I'm going to be about that far off. But if we're linked up with him and we're hooked up with him and he is living inside of us, He'll ease us back into the straight and narrow path. He, and if he's that beacon of light flashing in your mind's eye right now, don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. Jesus promised that he would come and do these things. So he convicts us and he corrects us. And number three, he challenges and he conquers. He challenges and he conquers with power, with soul power. Ephesians 1, 15 through 18 says this. For this reason, 
because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may, may do five things. May give you the spirit of wisdom, number one, and the revelation in the knowledge of him. And number two, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may, number three, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And number four, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then five, and what, are, what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians, Paul wrote this, he wanted the Ephesian Christians to experience the victorious Christian life and every single thing that knowing Christ could mean for them. Just listen to the passion that is in that message. He knew there was so much more to know in Christ than just walking through the motions. So much more to know in Christ than just getting your get-out-of-jail-free card. And he knew that the Holy Spirit, and he calls him the spirit of wisdom and revelation, he knew that he could reveal that to them and challenge them to press on to know him deeper and deeper and deeper. And Paul goes on to pray for these Christians, the Ephesian Christians, to be strengthened with the power of the Spirit in Ephesians 3. He goes on in Ephesians 3, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your innermost being. That the power of the Holy Spirit would strengthen us inside. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with a little bit of God. No, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit challenges us to know more and more about Christ. The Holy Spirit is constantly pointing towards Jesus for us to live more passionately for him and he gives us the power the soul power to conquer sin and to live for him what an incredible power that we have available to every single person in this room and finally he convinces and he confirms he convinces and he confirms john 14:17 and then verse 26 even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the advocate, the teacher, the guide, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. He is the Spirit of truth who will teach you all things. And if you have never given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit will convince you of the truth of who He is. The Holy Spirit will convince you that you need Him. He will convince you that you do indeed need to be saved. You ain't getting saved if you don't think that you need to be saved. You've got to understand your lostness. You can't be unhitched from the Old, of the Old Testament and understand your lostness. You can't remove the fall in the garden from this whole discussion. So he will convince you 
that you do indeed need to be saved. He will convince you that only those who are born again will live with him for eternity. He will convince you that you are savable, contrary to what the devil is whispering in your ear all the time, that you are a porn addict, that you're a liar, that you're a cheat, that, you're a, that, that you are, are an adulterer, that you are, 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 that God has forgotten about you, that you are homeless and God has forgotten about you, that you're what, fill the blank in. Fill the blank in. There's a hundred and something people in here. We all got a different something that goes in that blank and the devil is in your ear convincing you that you are not a child of God. But the Holy Spirit would convince you that you are savable, that you can be saved. And not only that, he will convince you that he desperately wants to save you. He'll convince you that, that, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He will convince you that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. He'll convince you that God, for God so loved the world that he died himself for you. He will convince you that he loves you so much more than you could ever, ever imagine. And he loves you, Paul says, right in the middle of your sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about how crazy that is. We are in the middle of the stupidness and he jumped up on a cross and died for us. Who does that? Not some man. God does that. He'll convince you that you can be strong in him. Bertier in Remember the Titans. How strong? Too strong. How strong? Too strong. You can be too strong in him. You can't be too strong in yourself, but you can be too strong in Him. He'll convince you that you can be victorious in the Christian life when He's got your back. When He doesn't have your back, you can't be victorious in the Christian life. So not only does the Spirit convince you that Jesus is who He says He is and that you need Him as your Savior, but He also confirms that you belong to Him when, if you do, in fact, belong to Him. And Paul said it in Romans eight sixteen. He said the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're, that we're children of God. He witnesses that to you. He tells you that. And he confirms the permanence of it in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. That's going to be up on the screen and it's going to have all kind of bold stuff and lines and stuff and I just want to walk through that for a second. In him, this is what Paul wrote to the Ephesians, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So you heard it, it was true, and you believed it. So in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You were sealed. It's like a, the same word that when they would take an envelope and seal it with a wax seal. Your salvation is put in the envelope, and it's sealed up with the Holy Spirit never to be removed. And here's what, here's what Paul says. The guarantee. Who's the guarantee? What's the guarantee? The sealing of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of the inheritance. What is the inheritance? The inheritance is I'm saved. I'm living forever in eternity with Him. That is my inheritance as a child of God. And the Holy Spirit seals that and it's the guarantee that I'm going to acquire possession of it 
when I die, when I physically die. The Holy Spirit is that seal is the guarantee. So the Holy Spirit, the, He's the person that comforts and that counsels and that convicts and that corrects and challenges and conquers and convinces and confirms. It's what He does, y'all. It's what He does. And the question for us to ask today is not how much of the Holy Spirit do I have? It's how much of me does the Holy Spirit have? Does He have 25% of me? He wants all of me. Does He have 100% of me? Everything I got, everything inside of me, does He own? He owns it all. And that's what He wants. Have you fully surrendered to Him as He convicts you of your need for Christ as your Savior? Have you let Him correct the wrong direction of your life? Have you yielded to the challenge that He gives us to live passionately, to live a passionate life for Him? If you haven't, listen to Him right now as we're sitting here and respond to that. Don't let this moment pass by as He works in your heart. And so I want to tell you, if, if that happened today, I do want you to let us know. And it's not all about you letting us know. You, you can let us, you can not let us know, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and on the way to heaven when you die. I want you to let us know because I want, to, I want our, our church family to come alongside of you to help. You're not meant to be to walk this Christian life alone. We are all meant to walk arm in arm with each other. There is a unity that God desires in the body of Christ. And so we want to walk that journey with you. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We've got a, our prayer team is going to be back in the corner after, after the worship service. If you want somebody to pray with you or for you, or if you want to just go back there and, and hug on them, whatever it is, they're going to be back there. I want you all, if you would, bow your heads uh, and close your eyes with me. And, and, and if that happened to you today, I just want you to kind of pray alongside uh, just pray alongside of us. Lord, today is the day that I, I saw the beacon light flashing. And today's the day that I do want to be too strong. I do want to, I, I do acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I, and I accept the conviction of that that you have given me. And so I want to make you the leader and my forgiver. And I want to tie myself to you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. So let us know on that connection card and drop that in the offering bucket. And we're going to be doing a God, <clears throat> a God plunge, which is what we call baptism, in a few weeks on the 18th. I want to get you wet. So if that happened, I want to hold you down. I won't hold you down too long. I told my youngest son, though, that I was going to hold him down. He needed a little extra, so I was going to hold him down. But God would have for us to be baptized after he indwells us and saves us. So we want you to do that as well. I want to call Richard up. Richard is here. I love.